We got spooky vibes here tonight, Randall, as we record Behind the Yellow Line. Tonight, Friday, October 13th. Friday the 13th, about two weeks out from Halloween. We're talking Chicago Cubs baseball tonight. We're talking playoff baseball. Lots to get to. Jeremy's here. Randall's here. Uh, Given the mood, though, and the fact we're coming up on the holiday, uh, Randall, have you picked your Halloween costume for the year yet? Uh, Halloween costume is actually being uh, theme mandated by work. Um, I don't know that it would make a whole lot of sense out of context, and I'm not going to need it for very long, nor does it need to be particularly extravagant. Um, But I suppose in that regard, in the fact that you have asked a yes or no question, yes, yes, I have. Well, you got to share it. Yeah, what is it? I got to share Again, it's not going to make any sense out of context, but uh, Halloween costume needs to be uh, an emotion from a a list, a matrix, some might say, that is used at work. And so I have selected one of those. Which one of those, you'll have to wait to find out closer to the time. But one has been selected. Surprise there. So you're you're going as an emotion. I mean, uh, that, I feel like I have a couple ideas of what emotions Randall uh, might go as. For me personally, I've never been a Halloween guy or a dress-up guy hmm. or whatever. So I'm not quite in that mode on Halloween. I mean, it, hey, it's a 20-year anniversary of uh, Steve Bartman, so maybe you'll see a lot of those. Um, was that to, today or just in general 20 years? Uh, just in general 20 years i'm sure yeah. it was recent though uh, like a day or two ago um i i don't know the exact date but uh you know i'm 2023 20 years ago um but uh, i guess ronan are you the one real dressing up this halloween uh, i'm i am getting out for some halloween activities and uh was out yesterday talking to some folks and i don't know yet what I'm doing and I'm cutting it close here. So I thought, you know, maybe Randall would have some ideas, get that to percolate a little bit. I did kind of the skeleton thing last year. Uh, I don't know, but I got to do something because there will be things going on. So maybe we'll see. You could figure out his emotion and double off yeah. of that. I second Randall's emotion. Yeah. Just for historic clarification, we are actually only a day off. The anniversary of game six of the 2003 NLCS doomed though it might have been was October 14th. So we're actually only a day off as we sit here and record this on the evening of October 13th. Well, let's revisit that then for just a minute here. Uh, 20 years, Jeremy has the time and maybe a world series win sort of lessen that blow or does that still hurt you? Yeah, well, certainly a world series win has, uh, you know, lessened it a little bit, you know, right. I mean, it still hurts. It's still, still difficult to watch. I never watched the catching hell, the 30 for 30 uh, that ESPN produced. I'm sure it was finally produced, but just, I just couldn't do it. I have watched some highlights of the game, but you know, it's, it's just kind of like a seared, uh, you know, image in your brain, the whole situation that happened there. And then it wasn't just even that moment. And then just the whole meltdown after that, because it would be one thing if they were able to get out of that inning and it's like, okay, close game, whatever. And then just a complete and utter meltdown that, yeah, that was tough. That's tough for a 16-year-old me to deal with at the time. I I was I but to be honest, game 7, I think that loss hurt me even more cuz like I thought we were going to win game 7. I really did. I thought, "All right, we're going to come back out here, we're going to win it." So that hurts, but we're going to do it. But uh yeah, it, it's lessened over time. Time heals all wounds, I guess, a little bit. And uh you know, we did win a World Series, so we got that out of the way. I would say the the wounds have healed a little bit. The scars have not. Um, I still despise the Marlins to this very day. Um, I would still see sooner see them contracted or perhaps relocated to hell uh, before ever giving them credit for anything. So 
like Jeremy said, winning a World Series since and winning it in the way that they did in a more modern era where I could really, really appreciate it more definitely helps. But the Marlins can still go, you know what, themselves uh, at earliest opportunity. And at least they did, I guess, this postseason uh, quickly did. Yes. going away. Um, I, I'm kind of torn on it, too. It's like, on one hand, some of my favorite Cubs memories of all time, not just that team, but that playoff team. Like, there, like even in Game 7, like the Kerry Wood home run is without a doubt one of the most badass moments in Cubs history forever. It's always going to be. And I love Kerry Wood. So for him to do that in Game 7, amazing. The series with the Braves. And Kerry Wood going to Atlanta, game five, shutting him down. Um, other heroes just throughout the playoffs, uh, Aramis with the grand slam, Doug Glanville with the big triple, those monster home runs Sammy hit, even in losses. There's so much to love about that team that, yeah, it didn't end right, that I still try and remember the good stuff because even the 2016 team didn't top some of those individual moments we got from some of those guys. And you mentioned the Cubs beating the Braves in the division series that year. Proof that... 100-plus win Braves teams going out in the first round. Not a recent phenomenon. No, I mean, we've seen that for a long time in the 90s and the 2000s. But, yeah, I agree with you. I, I just saw a clip of that Doug Glanville highlight the other night, the back-to-back triples, right? Uh, of uh, And that was a big deal with the speed because if you actually watch that clip, like, Kenny Lofton was going up from first and the shortstop had to cover second, left a huge hole and Glanville just hit it right through the gigantic hole. It's probably a double play if Lofton's not like, if they're not trying to cover second and just, yeah, memories like that, you, you know, the they, that's the last win they had that year was the Ramos grand slam game it was the last win they had that year. And that's just like sad. Cause like I said, I was convinced after game six, I'm like, you know, prior did it. We got the eight innings. We blew it at the end. But Kerry Woods coming back for game seven. We'll we'll do it then. Like, so I didn't feel I, I felt let down, but I didn't feel like, OK, this is over. And then after game seven, after they blew it, that's when it kind of, you know, kind of crushed because you only get so many moments as a Cubs fan where it's like, OK, you made it all the way to the end. You're here in the playoffs. You feel good. We're on the brink of the World Series to think that, like, OK, we have to do that all again next year. Uh, as a Cubs fan, that's like a real tough thing. And so like that was kind of when it hit me after game seven that that it came. Yeah, you get that kind of brutal feeling that I got. Yeah, it's like video games before they had save states where you get so deep into the game and you end up blowing it. You got to start all the way, start all the way back at the bottom. Jeremy, the Aramis game, not just their last win that season, it would have been their last playoff win all the way until the wild card game in 2015 as they were swept in 07 and 08. So it was a last a lot of things for a fairly long time in the sports world. Something else I've been thinking about with that team and the Athletic touched on this recently. There have been a lot of like 20 years later pieces that national media has been putting together with this team. It changed a lot of things for the Chicago Cubs. And there's a lot more to that. Like Major League Baseball is a lot different today than in 2003. The economics of the game are super inflated today versus even 20 years ago. But think about like when you watch clips of 03, that's a Wrigley Field that doesn't really exist anymore. Not the way that it was there. The hyper renovation of Wrigley Field started in earnest then after 2003 and escalated in the last 20 years. The fan base changed with that loss too, though. There were higher expectations, and we got teased in 07. We got teased definitely in 2008. But that like leads to 2016. You can see the route from what happened in 2003 directly to 2016. That's what stood out to me maybe in the last 20 years. There was like an innocence that ended with that 2003 team with the way that it went out. 
And you mentioned the athletic putting pieces together. Uh, one such piece was put together, an oral history of the 2003 Cubs, I believe written by John Greenberg, uh, went out a couple of weeks ago. I did get a chance to read that. There's a lot of good bits in there. Track it down if you can. I particularly enjoyed uh, comments from multiple players saying they'll never forget that season. And then Dusty Baker saying he chooses to not remember it. I, I can't imagine why, Dusty. Go on, elaborate. And uh, the other the other bit, I won't spoil the rest of it, but Paul Bacco, of all people who had to be tracked down wherever he lives now talking about how he doesn't remember. And I'm quoting, he doesn't remember shit about his time with the Royals, but his time <laughs> with the Cubs, he will never forget, which struck me as very funny. Yeah, definitely. And Carol, so if you ever listen to him on the rate on the broadcast, he always talks about how amazing time he had in Chicago. And that was his only season he played in Chicago, but I agree with you, uh, Ronan about, I, I, and maybe I was too young, you know, only being, you know, 15, 16 years old, but to me, it also felt like, a change in the fan base, a change in the yeah. Cubs where I felt like it, it became like a thing kind of to be at Wrigley, like Wrigley was sold out predominantly diff more difficult to get into, uh, you know, higher. It just, it just, it became a bigger deal like to Wrigley field and, and seeing the Cubs where before that it was kind of, you know, whatever you would, you it was, you know, fun. They would get sellouts. People, everybody wanted to come to Wrigley field, but like it just kind of changed that moment. It was like, okay, this is real now. Like, to me, at least. And I, I, I agree with you. I think since then, since that kind of 03 team, like that's when we've seen the the modern state of the Cubs, I guess. Yeah. Well, thank God for 2016 for all of us. It just it took the weight of all of that off. Um, I would wonder, too, older generations of Cubs fans, I wonder if they feel similarly about 84. Like the significance of the team making the postseason in 84 for the first time since 45 that's a big deal. If you were a fan in 69, what happened in September, that, that would have impacted you in ways that for maybe us as 16 year olds, 2003 had that impact, but it felt like there was a big shift in the organization, but there, to be honest, you know, there's been a big shift in baseball since 2003 and that's led us to where we are now. Um, I do want to talk about the current Cubs team before we get into some postseason stuff here. Uh, you guys hopped in to the show here shortly after the Cubs season was wrapped up and the wounds were very fresh a little bit later now, some time has passed. Uh, with a little bit more time, has anything changed, sort of in your opinion or perspective on this 2023 team? No, I'm I'm still watching these postseason games and thinking that should be the Cubs there. That should be the Cubs there getting in as an 80-some win wildcard team and then getting impossibly hot and storming their way up the ladder. It, it, it hasn't really healed for me yet, and that doesn't really start for me until after the World Series ends, just because as long as there's still baseball is on, the season is still going for me and I can't really start to process and close those wounds. So yeah, I'm just sitting here thinking it should be the Cubs doing this every game. Yeah. I somewhat agree with you uh, there, Randall. I, uh, I don't know if my feelings have necessarily changed on the way the season ended or the team, but you know, I, I do feel a little bit of kind of closure to it as, you know, we're moving on, whatever, but I agree with Randall, like seeing the diamondbacks go out and beat the uh, Dodgers. It's like, you know, the Cubs were, I, I saw a lot of people say like, Oh, you know, it, it, if this team doesn't get in, it's okay because we didn't, we weren't going anywhere, but you know, in this ridiculous playoff format, any team can go anywhere. And you've seen the, the team like the diamondbacks now in the LCS. So it, it's still that always kind of kind of frustrates you when you see that because you you know the Cubs could have been that team uh and it, it that's a little disappointing it, not just a team like the Diamondbacks in the LCS a team like the Diamondbacks in the LCS on the back of absolutely pasting 
Clayton Kershaw in a game one start. Are we going to claim that the Cubs could not have hit playoff Clayton Kershaw? I'm just going to say it's been done before. It's been done before. I think they would have stood as good a chance as anybody. Well, I think a lot of people are, are sort of pissing down on Arizona. That's a pretty good baseball team. Maybe they didn't finish with as many wins as we wanted, but you look at that lineup, you look at the pitching that they've had, that's a better team than people are giving them credit for. And we'll talk about the playoffs. We'll get into that a little bit more um, later on in the show here today, but yeah, I'm, I'm frustrated, right? I, I, they were so close. I, I guess I'm frustrated in the sense that where they were September 1st, I'm disappointed that they didn't make the postseason. But if I zoom out where they were March 1st, that team exceeded expectations for me. I had them winning 78, 79 games. They won 83. They did better than I thought they would do. It's just that perspective. You know, they had a bad start to the year. They had a bad end to the year. And unfortunately, they couldn't carry those middle three or four months into the postseason. And, and that's what stinks looking back on it. If the season was like two weeks shorter, these guys are in. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree with you there. If you if you take a macro look at the season, I think, and I know Jed and, and Tom both came out and said, like, you know, the season wasn't a success because we didn't make the playoffs, which obviously anytime, you know, that's the goal. So <laughs> that's that's true. But I do agree on a macro sense. You saw a lot of improvement. You saw a lot. The, the season played out better than what you expected it to. But as you said, like the Cubs had a 92% chance going to fan graphs yeah. of making the playoffs at one point in September. So the way that played out and the way and the team that was there on September 1st, say, was a lot better team than was there on March 1st. Like, you know, there were a lot more improvements, a lot more players played better than we expected them to play. Players proved themselves. So just that team could have and probably should have made the playoffs. I think they were better than a few teams that made the playoffs. Um, so it's very disappointing that they didn't. And as I said before, talking about that 03 team, it's like every season is sacred. Now I think this team is kind of in a, I know the 04 team, we saw how that ended and we had high expectations going into 04, but I do think this team's in a pretty good position to go into 24. And so I, I do expect a lot of things going into next year. So I don't really have that feeling of like, Oh, we really missed our chance. But as Theo Epstein said, every season is sacred. Like you want to yes. win. And so when you get that close, it's pretty bitter to not make it. And I would have been content just with a playoff appearance. Like going into September and all that, I was thinking, you know, just get in. And I it doesn't, I mean, obviously I want them to win as many games as they can, but even if they had been eliminated in the wild card round, I, I would have been like, you know what? That's amazing that they actually got in. So yeah, it does burn that they weren't able to do that. Um, but we're already seeing changes towards next year's team. There's not a whole lot you can do player-wise right now until the World Series ends. But personnel-wise, we've got some changes here. Bullpen coach Chris Young, he's out. Game strategy coach Craig Driver, he's out. Jeremy, you were excited in our group chat about this. Uh, why are you excited about these changes? Uh, well, I don't know if I was. I would say I was excited. You I celebrated I, it. You I certainly celebrated. I actually, it. I actually. I was actually pretty surprised because I thought Craig driver. I mean, I don't know a super ton about, uh, but I thought, you know, from working with the catchers, I, I, from where they were to where, when he came in, I thought we saw a lot of improvement in terms of like framing and things like that, that Craig driver was responsible for. Uh, I don't know exactly necessarily what all Craig driver was responsible when you're for, when you're talking about something like game strategy, I assume it was dealing more with, pitching strategy and, and run prevention, stuff like that. But I do believe that whatever the strategy was for <laughs> in-game situations, the tactics at the end of, for most of last season and much of this, I think there was a lot of mistakes made. And I don't know if that means Craig driver was like a guy that was 
very much in that or if he's just kind of a fall guy. But I, I do get the sense of let me compare it this way. In I'm an Illinois football fan. And in 2010 ish, they kind of Illinois football was under Ron Zook and they, they were recruiting pretty well. But there were a lot of issues and they made this decision to basically fire the coaches and bring in these highly paid offensive and defensive coordinators who were very well thought of and basically to take out any like in-game decisions out of Ron Zook's hands. Cause like you can get the talent, let's get some smart guys in here to do some things. And so I kind of, I'm hoping that's kind of something like this where we're going to try to get some guys in there to maybe take help out a little bit with some in-game decisions. Well, I saw the tweet from behind the yellow line the other day, quote, game strategy certainly may be an area they want to get better in. Jeremy, I assumed you wrote that. Was that a Randall tweet? No, that was not right. That was definitely a Jerry tweet. I'm just saying that's where it was coming from. So I'm saying like game strategy is certainly an area where they now I'm just talking about game strategy as a as a because I don't know exactly what Craig Driver was responsible for. So I can't really comment on Craig's driver himself but he's called the game strategy coach and i'm just saying game strategy is something i think the cubs definitely want to get better at. and if you're not going to fire the top guy who they praise so much for being that guy in the locker room which is okay like you want a guy who can handle the locker room i agree I, there we haven't seen any problems out of the locker room it seems like the guys play hard for him i agree with all of that so if you want to keep that guy and then maybe up kind of the tactical sense of the bench i would be for that I'm not saying this is what happened, but it would be very funny if David Ross kind of pushed all the blame onto the game strategy coach, goes in front of the media with that slight drawl of his and says, yeah, you know, it was all that game strategy coach's fault. He was steering me in the wrong direction every day. That's why we fired him. I'm not saying that's what happened, but it would be it would be quite humorous. You know, I I do not love the anti David Ross sentiment from at least the online portion of this fan base that I see and my two co-hosts. I get the vibe. I listen to what you guys have to say. We talk about this. I, I thought David Ross did a fine job this year, and I'm glad that he's back for next year. You, you know, we, we can talk about this as much as we want. I just think there were a lot of decisions on the margins where he pulled the wrong lever, and maybe that's something he can improve on. He's still relatively young as managers go. He himself has said there's going to be a lot of dialogue with the front office. Maybe he can improve on that. That It just stood out to me, especially down the stretch. It, it stood out like a sore thumb to me. Maybe so. And I like the fact that Jed sort of came out and said, yeah, we disagree with each other. We fight with each other. You should have sort of that healthy relationship between the manager and his bosses where they can argue and disagree with the expectation that the team gets better and they win. It's just when I look at what went wrong this past year, before I look at David Ross, 350 plate appearances for Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini. They never addressed first base. I mean, Bellinger eventually moves over there. You get some stability. But you, you can't do that when Patrick Wisdom is your third baseman. Like your corner infield can't be the two guys we had the first month and a half of the year and Patrick Wisdom. And that has to be addressed going into next year. So that's what I look at when, when I kind of look at what went wrong. Yeah, some things got messy. And I don't think David Ross made all the right decisions. But I am optimistic that he can learn from it. I think he's humble enough that he can learn from it. And this guy is going to lead the Cubs to a division championship next year. I truly believe that. I, uh, I I agree with you in, in the sense of um, what well, well, I said last time we were on the air with just Randall. Uh, I said to Randall, you need to manager proof the roster, in my opinion. And that, that would go towards manager proof the roster where just get a lot of talent that it, it sure. weighs out. Um, and I and what you said about Jed, I was going to bring up myself like Jed talked about, like, you know, I disagree with with David a lot and we argue and whatever. But he also said that when David. 
Like if you show to David that like if you tell him why you think this is right, he might fight with you. But eventually, if he realize like he'll come around because he might understand that something is right. And so I agree that maybe there is room for David Ross to learn like like he's never was a manager before. And, yeah, he was a catcher. He probably was involved in the game, but he never was a manager. It's all about a learning process. But. I understand where you're coming from as well. And I don't want to rehash the whole, you know, the way that went down, but like, as I, you know, they were a 92% team chance to make the playoffs. So at that point, you know, guys like Eric Hosmer weren't on the roster anymore. That was a different team and they should have probably made the playoffs. Yeah. Well, we talked about first base being a problem. I think we could all agree that we had sort of been optimistic about Matt Mervis. His hundred plate appearances didn't go so well, not to fully write him off, but I, I don't know. I don't think this front office, is putting a whole lot into Matt Mervis, to be honest with you, moving forward. So first base becomes this big question mark. And Jeremy and Randall, we're getting taunted here, I think, from the national and local media. You got this guy in New York, Pete Alonso, who would be a perfect fit for the Cubs. The Mets, disappointing year, probably shedding more payroll. But Pete Alonso is one of their guys. And he's got one more year before he's a free agent. Are we buying this story that Pete Alonso um, could be traded and, too, is interested in the Cubs? I'm not buying this this story with two coupons and a gift card. Pete Alonzo is, and I quote, interested in joining the Cubs, end quote, in the same way that Jake Peavy was heard singing Go Cubs Go in a bar. It is the exact same script with different actors. And we have learned absolutely nothing in the 14 or so years since that was a, a hot button topic. It all sounds like the same garbage. It's being pushed by a lot of the same people because Bruce Levine is still on this beat. I don't buy it for a second. Well, that that was actually true, uh, Randall, about Jake PB. I mean, he has he's admitted to it, and they've talked about it, like he thought he was going to the Cubs. Um, Stand by it, okay. But I, I'm buying the sense that the Cubs are going to be interested in Pete Alonso as a trade target. I'm 100 percent buying that. I'm buying I'm buying the fact that they probably already had discussions with him that was reported by Ken Rosenthal before the trade deadline, or, or excuse me, with the Mets uh, as did the Brewers. I'm buying that it's possible that the Mets would have the eye because he is reportedly wanting a very long-term very big contract that maybe I mean the Mets could probably afford anything but who knows I don't necessarily buy that the Mets are going to trade him I think that would be like a big deal like remember Pete Alonso is also a native New Yorker um I mean hey they you know Marcus Stroman left there to call the Cubs or whatever but he is a native New Yorker uh but I he'd be a perfect fit to me like I if Pete Alonso is available the Cubs should 100% do whatever they can to land Pete Alonso. I don't care. I, I think that guy, I, I will say it. He might hit 60 home runs at Wrigley Field next year. Yep. The first time I saw Pete Alonso play at Wrigley Field, I think I went I went to one of those Cubs games back. I think it was 2019. He has hit, every time he's been at Wrigley, he's crushed him. He crushed him, in, we all know, in City Field as well. I've seen him hit so many bombs at Wrigley Field. And he reminds me of like that Babe Ruth quote from the 1932 world series when Babe Ruth first hit in Wrigley field, he said, I'd give half my salary to hit in this dump, you know, full <laughs> year round. And I think that if Pete Alonso came and hit balls at Wrigley field, I, I, I think he, he would crush it. And I, I think he's a perfect fit. I would do whatever it takes to get Pete Alonso. And Alonso switched his representation to another than none other than Scott Boris. That's an individual who sounds like he's expecting maybe a, a maybe a messy trade discussion or potentially a high priced free agent market a year from now. So that's an individual who's kind of loading up in his corner based on what he thinks is coming up. 
So, yeah, that's definitely kind of lends credence to the idea that Pete Alonso is going to play hardball, want to get to free agency. So my question is, and I'll, I'll ask you guys, um, let's say for the sake of argument that Pete Alonso is actually on the trade market. Mm. How What would you be comfortable with parting to land Pete Alonso? Like, I, I think, as Ronan mentioned, Matt Mervis is not in the Cubs' plans. So no. I, I kind of feel like Matt Mervis might be a part of a Pete Alonso trade. You get a young first baseman back. I don't know if he'd be the centerpiece. I'm not saying he's the centerpiece. But like in a Pete Alonso trade, would say a Matt Mervis and Kevin Alcantara, would that be too much, too little? Like how, what are you thinking is a, the right for a Pete Alonso trade that you'd be willing to give up? And it probably have to hurt a little bit, to be honest, to get Pete Alonso. Yeah, I do think it would hurt a little bit. Um, but I think you also have to look at the, what the trade market has been like for guys in the last year of your contract. And it's been it's hurt, but I don't think it's hurt any of these teams really enduringly. Like, like I think, you know, they were all hesitant to send away what players they did. But if you look at the number of players, you look at the quality of the players, none of them were really system breaking trades. And again, that's the norm for a guy in, coming into the last year of his contract, because the acquiring team is going to argue, hey, we're only sending you players for the right to have the rights to this guy for one year. So that always makes it really tricky. So, yeah. Well, I- um, I, I would just think that you're looking at it like maybe best case scenario for Pete Alonso next year, what, four war, maybe five. If he does that 60 home run season, you're talking about at Wrigley. It's going to be less than you'd think. I think for one year of that, especially with Boris and no guarantee you're going to extend him. Now, if I'm the Cubs and I'm trading for Pete Alonso, it's with that expectation. We're going to trade for him and also do what we need to do to extend this guy and make him the first baseman moving forward. But it's obviously a huge need. I wouldn't think twice. I mean, throw Mervis in even as far as I'm concerned, I, I right, that, that's I'm fine. Yeah. Um, but I think the ask would be less than, than, then you might realize there because you're still looking at maybe a four war type of a year coming in from a guy like that. So what would like, do you have like, like I said, Mervis and Alcantara is just like an example. Like, so you, you guys think that would be too much is what you're saying. They could, I think they could get away with less than that. Um, I, I would probably do that though. And then lock up Alonzo. I, mean, I think I would he's do a that. perfect fit. I think he's a perfect fit for the Cubs, their needs. And I agree with you, Jeremy, that's a guy you put him in Wrigley Field, it's going to be awesome. And there's there's no obvious answer in the system right now at first base. Now, I'm worried about third base, and there's no obvious answer in the system there either. But, like, you've got outfielders coming, the middle infield's locked up, you've got some role players. You need, you need to make a huge jump at the corner infields, and that may require you to trade some of that farm capital to go and make that happen. I mean, Alonzo hit 47 home runs this past year in a – Pretty relatively big park, I think, in City Field. I'm, I, I have to look at it more. Maybe I'm mistaken there, but I think him hitting at Wrigley Field, I, I, I'm, I'm, if he gets to the Cubs, I'm marking down fifty. Like he's, he's in fifty. We'll see where he goes. That's the guy, though. That yeah. I mean, obviously Otani is out yeah. there, and right, yeah. sure. I don't think the Cubs are realistically going to be in on that. Pete Alonso is the guy right now that it's like find a way to make this happen. And then let's figure out third base. And let me ask you about that right now. We still got the playoffs to get through. There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, Jeremy, if you were to throw down some money on uh, opening day, third baseman for the Cubs next year, uh, what, what would you look at? Yeah. Third base is like, you're looking at it and you're looking what's out there. It's, it's very difficult to really see. I mean, you got Chapman who at the start of this year, you thought, okay, that's going to be the guy he's going to, but then he really kind of slowed down towards this year. And it's like, are you want to pay a big ton of money for Chapman? So to me, maybe I'm wrong, but 
I, I would look and see if you're probably bringing Jamer back, Candelario. Like, I mm. could Candelario be your opening day third baseman? Obviously, there's a history already with the Cubs coming up through the system. They trade him away, so there, there's a relationship there. He obviously likes being a Cub and knows about being a Cub. So I would put it in on trying to bring Candelario back. That's what I would do. And I honestly think that the fact – and, you know, we talked a little bit about Ross and not everything that went wrong, but I think losing Candelario at the end of the season – onto the IL was also a huge part of that. Besides, I mentioned the bullpen before, but Candelario, you know, he missed significant time in September, and, and I think that was key. You know, I'm going to throw a dark horse name at the both of you. I'm going to throw out Jose Ramirez. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I'm going to throw out Jose <laughs> Ramirez. The Cubs potentially overwhelming Cleveland with maybe more of a, a quantity instead of quality, but Cleveland still gets back a number of cost-controlled guys. And that, of course, is a franchise that is constantly worried about cost control. Um, so again, I'm not a GM, but I'm wondering if that's kind of a dark horse trade candidate. Maybe if Alonso falls through, or maybe even in addition to Alonso, that they potentially go that route. That So to me, that's the best case scenario at third base and one that I just don't think. I, I yeah. think that guy is the face of the Guardians. Right, he took less money to stay there. Uh, my understanding is that he's got a no trade clause. That not to say that he wouldn't necessarily move on, but I think he likes it there and he likes being the guy there. And that's going to be a winnable division. Like they'll be competitive in Cleveland. Um, so I, I, I would love the thought of that. Right, like that's a yeah. great fantasy. I just got the hunch that that guy likes where he's at. And he's going to stay put in Cleveland. No, I agree with you, Ron. I mean, I, I agree with Randall. Like, obviously, Jose Ramirez, anybody would want Jose Ramirez on their team. I would love Jose Ramirez. I just feel like, you know, he signed a big contract. And it's still a big contract, um, even if he took less money to stay there. And he he's a Cleveland guy through and through. They they love him there. He's the face of the franchise. I, I think in order for a Jose Ramirez trade to actually go through, you I, I think you would have to, you know, give up something pretty good because I just can't see Cleveland trading Jose Ramirez, who's – you know, especially after knocking out Tim Anderson, like the golden boy of Cleveland right now. So it's going to be tough for me. Now, if we are talking trade targets, I will say I would be much more comfortable giving up quality for Jose Ramirez than I would for Pete Alonzo. Jose Ramirez is still signed mm-hmm. long-term and it's a very reasonable contract going forward. Pete Alonso's defensive value is already limited and it's probably not going to get better. If you're going to give up premium farm talent in trade, I, I would be much more comfortable doing that for Jose Ramirez than I would for Pete Alonso. But at the same time, those hypothetical trades would probably be apples and oranges. So, you know, it, it's very easy to say I'm much more comfortable giving up premium talent for premium talent than to give up m- middle middle talent for OK talent. So I'm not really I'm not re- I'm stating the obvious here, but still, I think Pete Alonso is uh, pretty good, though. Me personally. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, one more thing here on third base here, just a yes or no, Randall, uh, Patrick wisdom is on the Chicago Cubs active roster in 2024. Nope. I think he is a non-tender victim. I think he does have potential to be a non-tender victim. Cause I think it is more than a yes or no, uh, what was it? 2.6 million was the MLB arb, but I'm going to say yes, because I, I just see him coming back as like a power bat off the bench. We'll see. I'm hoping no, I'm really hoping no. So I'm going to say no. But uh, I see what you're getting at there, Jeremy. Uh, we'll see what Patrick. I don't, I don't think he'll be a regular is. at all. I hope not. Um, I hope but not. There, maybe there is some value there uh, with at least the power bat coming in off the bench. Um, so the big league Cubs are done right now. A couple more weeks until we start to see some major roster moves. But seven guys right now in the system in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, what's caught your attention, either of you guys, and what we've seen from the Phoenix area here? 
Well, I'll start off. Uh, James Triantos has this like second highest OPS in the Arizona Fall League right now, so that's, that's caught my attention. Every time I, I, hey guys, they're they're streaming those games on the Arizona on the Fall League website. Like anybody can watch them. So if you're out there listening, anybody can watch them. Every time I flipped one on, when I remember that there's nothing on TV or something, and I'm like, oh, there's an Arizona Fall League game on. What if I just pop that on? Uh, James Triantos just knocking the ball all over the park. I think he went two for four with a home run today. Uh, he's got like a one point four OPS, and it's only been like a week whatever, but it's been seven straight days and we're talking about, you know, he's a guy who maybe could play third base, maybe play second base. You know, if there's nothing in the system for third base, like I I've been very, I was always very impressed with him. I think he had a pretty decent year this year, not a great year. Um, but I, he's a guy that I think he's going to be around. Maybe he's a, a trade target for somebody. Maybe he ends up in one of these trades, but I've been very impressed with him. And Triantos, you are not only correct on, both counts. He did homer today and he is posting a 1.396 OPS right now, but he also led off and started in center field for your yep. Mesa solar socks. And that's definitely the sort of thing that could make him a lot more attractive as a trade piece, not just a second baseman, but as a potential outfielder as well. So yes, he has been tearing it up for the Mesa solar socks, which is great. The other thing that stands out just when I see clips and stuff is how empty that ballpark yeah. is. All the, I mean, there are spring training parks with these beautiful facilities down there in the desert, and they are totally deserted. You hear sometimes like everybody leaves with a foul ball type of atmosphere. Everybody leaves with like five foul balls at these games. It's sort of sad that there's pick. not a bigger market there for folks. Look, I have no interest in living in Phoenix or the area. No knock on that. It's nice in March for a weekend or so to get down there. Wouldn't want to live there year-round. That said, if I live there, I would be out at this stuff. I think it'd be awesome to go and catch these games and see these young players. The, the hitting seems to be better than the pitching in the Arizona Fall League, but you're looking at guys that are going to have good offensive careers. You're talking Major League All-Stars routinely playing in these games, so that's cool. Yeah, I agree. As I said, yeah, as you say, excuse me, you watch, you look out, you don't see. I, I assume the most of the people there are just scouts, which would probably be, uh, uh, you know, if you're down there, and you're just sitting around and like maybe there's some sky, you know, you probably have some good conversation if they're willing to talk to you. Uh, but yeah, I, I would think it would be super fun. And as you said, the offense there is a little better, you know, playing in that humidity, uh, that dry heat, I guess. Uh, it helps the ball fly a little bit. But yeah, I, it's pretty impressive, I think, what Triantos has done so far in only a week. But he's been knocking the ball all over. Every time I turn on, he's knocking all. And it's cool because they're playing in their actual you know, kind of he's wearing a Chicago Cubs uniform all the time. So that's always cool. And you, it looks like an all-star game because everybody's in different uniforms. That That is always the thing that stands out to me about Arizona Fall League games is the players wearing the major league jerseys, the home jersey and the road jersey of their major league organizations. And it always looks great. It makes them look like big league players, even if, you know, sadly, they never do end up big league players. It's always a good look. And visually, I always do appreciate that about the AFL. I guess Major League Baseball hasn't figured out a way to monetize that, right? They're obviously not selling tickets. Uh, maybe if more people start paying attention, they'll have like all-star type jerseys, which stinks because I agree with you guys. It's cool to see those big league jerseys. Um, we'll probably get more wind too over the next few weeks of other winter ball additions. There's a whole number of guys in the system that will be playing here in the offseason in various Latin countries, and that'll be cool to see those guys kind of come up. Yeah, definitely. I, Randall, he's got here that Canario uh, turned down uh, the uh... – AFL because I remember him being on this is going there and I was looking at all this, the rosters I'm like he's not out there but I see you got here he's going to winter ball yeah he was on the Mesa Solar Sox 
uh, roster initially, but he did turn that down in favor of playing winter ball. Um, you know, that is where he got, that is where he got injured last year. Yes. So I hope he has a little healthier, a little safer, uh, a little safer winter season this year, but good for him. Playing winter ball is a very big thing for a lot of players. And Alexander Canario will be playing for Aguilas, um, his favorite team in the Dominican winter league. And so I'm sure he will enjoy that. And I would think the level of competition is probably just as strong in some areas as it is for the AFL. So he's still getting the reps. He's still getting the reps against quality talent. Um, so good for him. Just stay healthy this time, Alexander. That's all we ask. Got to be careful down there with uh, the Cardinals facility getting robbed. Ooh, I don't yeah, know I, I did yeah. see that. Um, and, you know, I saw a headline on it and I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And I when I saw the initial headline, I thought, oh, some people broke in and stole some stuff in the middle of the night. Then I saw an updated story later that was far more intense than that, that players and coaches were held at gunpoint. That's absolutely insane. And I think those owners can afford some security down there if they just spend a little bit of money. That's insane that you've got people in the system coaches and players being held at gunpoint that can't happen and i guess three teams it's happened to this offseason absolutely insane that's that's crazy i didn't know it was three teams i just saw the article about the cardinals and uh you know just players being robbed baseball equipment being robbed crazy yeah you know i didn't see the second report but the initial one you sent said staff and players were shaken up but not harmed and given what was stolen like okay somebody was probably uh, accosted in person doesn't sound like it was a like an overnight thing with nobody there because that's not how the academies work down there so i figured it had to have been uh, some sort of in-person foul play and again good that everyone is okay and that the losses were solely material that story was not going to go away this offseason i think there's going to be a lot more emphasis on it because even once the world series ends you get the owners meetings you get the winter meetings you get all this stuff where all the national media and all these figureheads are there we're going to be hearing a lot more about that i think over the next couple of months here um crazy crazy type stuff though uh, anything else on the cubs front before we look at the playoffs here i i'm just hopeful that we see a big offseason that's all i'm going to say like that's yeah, agreed. should be the goal it's another uh, transformative, so another potentially transformative offseason ahead. Hopefully it'll be another really fun and active winter meetings. And hopefully the Cubs put themselves in a position to be part of that activity. One other thing that I that sort of crossed my world here in the last two weeks is somebody had asked me, hey, I want to get to Wrigley Field for the first time but I want to be there when the Ivy is green. So when am I supposed to go? And I said, well, you know, <laughs> June, July, August is a pretty good bet there, September, um, maybe in May, but if you want to be safe here and you're purchasing a flight and stuff ahead of time, pick June or July or something, and it's gonna, you're going to get that vintage Wrigley Field. But it got me thinking about the red Ivy this time of the year, and what a bummer we don't get that opportunity to take that in because that's one of the coolest things about Wrigley Field that I would say 95% of non-Cubs baseball fans, maybe more, have absolutely no idea about that that Ivy actually turns reddish. It's an underrated part of what we have been denied every year for a while now, not counting 2020, and I don't count 2020 for much, is Wrigley Field in the deep fall. You get it a little bit in late September if you're lucky, but Wrigley Field, when the sun has started to set super early, it is chilly, it is breezy, you're there in a, a hoodie, long sleeves, you got the red ivy, the players have the long sleeves on. Wrigley Field in the deep fall is its own unique experience, and that's one that I'm hoping we get to see on TV and in person again very soon. Definitely. And it's funny too, because like in real life, I hate the fact that it's dark so early 
And my dog hates the fact that, <laughs> you know, his dinner is now after it being dark out, after the entire summer, he's very confused and we haven't even done the clock thing yet. Um, there's something cool about getting to Wrigley Field for a seven o'clock night game and it's already pitch black, right? And you got the lights on. Always love that about late September and October baseball. Again, something that's taken from us this year. Well, let's talk about the playoffs here. We're down to four. The two Texas teams in the American League, then Arizona and Philadelphia over in the National League. Um, should be pretty compelling stuff here as the championship series start later this weekend and into next week. But the big story, I think, across baseball right now from fan bases, even from some players, is this playoff structure in the second year of this new structure here of the postseason. Um, Jeremy, you made a comment earlier in the show today, uh, something to the effect of like the wacky playoff setup. Uh, do you have a problem with the way that the postseason is structured? Because we've heard a lot of fan bases of 100 win teams saying, wait a minute, this thing's broken. Yeah, I I, I don't buy the whole, um, like we had this buy long layoff. That's the reason why we stunk necessarily. But I, I have a problem with, you know, the, we added in these extra rounds. We added in these extra teams. And I just don't think the teams that played the best over the regular season, which I think is kind of more important, to be honest, have enough of an advantage that they, they need a little bit more of an advantage. They, they It should not be kind of this the way it's set up, I think, where you get these kind of wacky results because yeah, everybody loves March Madness, right? But nobody wants to watch the final four consists of like three 10 seeds or four 10 seeds. And yeah, it's fun when they, you know, Cinderella, but then you get to the end, you're like, you want to see a real champion. Um, And I just, I think it's a little too easy right now for the, these teams that just kind of snuck into the bottom to get to. And we, we, we saw it. it's like who we talked about this before the structure was announced. And before it came out, like we all saw this coming, like that you're going to get an 84 win team into the LCS. Like you would never have seen that before. And it happened this year, like two years into this. So uh, that's just my beef with it. Yeah. You know, I, I don't love this playoff format as it is. I did not need an additional wildcard team. I did not need uh, the, the addition of a whole round to the playoffs. I never asked for any of that. MLB claims they surveyed fans. They didn't survey me. So it doesn't count. But for as long as this is the format, I don't know how you legislate out teams going cold in the postseason for a series. I don't know how you guard against that without badly compromising the integrity of the series. And I think a lot of the complaining right now is sour grapes. And understandably, it's emotional. Your team wins 100 some games and then you go out to this 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 un unwashed, unshaven wild Phillies team in the first round. And I may be calling out one fan base in particular, but I don't think that means that there's something inherently wrong with the format. Hearing what each of you are saying, one change that I would make, and to be honest with you, I've been saying this for 20 years or so. I thought this change should have been done in the past. Would it be better or does it not matter if the division series is a best of seven instead of a best of five? I would make it a best of seven. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of ways you can do things to uh, make it, you know, more advantageous for the, I agree with you, Ron, a best of seven would be one way that would be more advantageous for the better team. Um, I, I think there's uh, like, I, I, I think the format right now is set up in a way that it, it's too easy for teams that are worse. Like there's definitely structures that would, would make it. So to say like, there's nothing you can do. I think that's just completely well, wrong because what would you, what's one thing you would change? That's well, realistic I, too. 
Not I, I like think... we're going to eliminate playoff teams because the reason why there's so many playoff teams is the money they get from these TV right. contracts for the playoffs. And I think there is a ripple effect of more teams being in contention later in the year leads to higher local ratings and more people going to the ballpark and all that. So without eliminating the number of teams that get in, what's one change you would make, Jeremy? No, I, I 100% agree with that. But I, I think that you can change uh, the way the series are set up. I, I don't think like you could change. There are ways that, you know, you could change the format of, of which teams play, which teams necessarily like, but like, I, you know, we, we see the gauntlet in South Korea. We saw it in 2020 where the one team got a, a win. It's maybe one team win has to win two games. One team has to win three games. I don't think that's a ridiculous change to bring in. I think there's other ways that aren't even that gimmicky necessarily. Well, like what? I'm just curious. Like, give us one. What's well, one I, that you would implement? I Off the top of my head, like, I, I have to go back. But I, I remember when I was reading about this in 2020 when we were doing it, there were plenty of ways where – uh, you can give like it's not a, a certain team certain advantages like yes one way would be to give them a win and and make it and I would be okay with that to be honest I would be totally okay if you gave a team if the lower seeded team had to win less games or the higher the higher seeded team had to win less games the lower seeded team had to win more games I would be okay with that like there are ways that I think teams could they could do it and I if you want me to go in through it and find better ways but no, this I, is I, not the simplest I, this is not I don't think this is the only option. I, I and to say that well, this is all you can do. I I I I honestly don't believe that. Okay, I, I kind of see where you're going at with that. Um, so the other change that I would make would be to your point a moment ago. I think there's a problem in the wild card round where the third division winner, the only advantage they get over the third wild card team is home field advantage in a best right. of three series. To me, that's crazy. Like the, the difference between winning a division, even if it's the third division, and being the final wild card team needs to be better than two or three extra home games. So to what you were saying a minute ago, Jeremy, the other change that I would implement is in that best of three series where you've got division three versus wild card three, I think the division team should only need one win while the wild card team should win two. And the other benefit to that is every game becomes an elimination game for TV purposes, right? So if, if the top team, if Milwaukee beats, uh, who do they have? Uh, Arizona, right? Arizona. Yeah. So if they beat Arizona once, they advance into the division round. Arizona has to win two games. Would you extend that to the division and the championship series as well for the top-seeded teams? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, I would do that. I, but I also think I like you could just do it in the wildcard round. Like, I think – I think there has to be a way to weed out the worst teams. I, I don't think like an 84 win team should just be getting in. I, and I, and I don't think like I basically baseball did it this way because it's the simplest way. and It's the easiest way for fans and people are just going to accept it. But I, I've seen lots of proposals for lots of different ways that would have a better balance for, um, and I'd have to go back and read all of the sums and I could bring them back. Um, but I have a better balance of the way that the the percentages of say like each team would have like because right now the it's it's not as it's too easy I think for these worst teams to win uh, I think the teams like the hundred win team should have more of an advantage and they don't I don't think the buy necessarily gives them that advantage yeah interesting I I don't think I would extend it to the division or the championship rounds uh, no, or the World you. Series for that matter but I definitely well, I like it in not that. the World Series sir. sure sure I'm just saying but definitely. That wild card round, I think that that would be an advantage that way. Um, another thing that I don't like about the scheduling here is, you know, yeah, the five-day layoff for those 
first and two seeded teams. That is a long break, no question about it. But what actually irritates me more than that was the off day between game one and game two in the National League Division Series. That's absolutely insane, followed by another off day after game two. I don't like that at all. And to me, that was more egregious than five days off for these division winners, the the top two division winners who get that automatic buy into the division series. I was perplexed, perplexed by that too. It felt like there was no rhythm to those series. And you can say they did it to ensure that there's a game every day and that both series don't play two games and then an off day and then back on on the same schedule. But boy, that that felt incredibly weird. Like I did a double take when I saw that on the schedule that after game one, you get a day off and then game two. I did not like that at all. And again, it's TV purposes. It's all sorts. It's the tail wagging the dog to a certain extent. I did not care for that one bit. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I I think it's a little ridiculous to have that off day. I, I was surprised they had that off day. I was like, what? You're telling me they because in baseball, it's always like you play every day, right? Unless they're you're the travel day. So it's always been kind of that. So that was ridiculous to me. Uh, I, I will say in one thing I, I will say positively about the current playoff format is that first kind of day, those first few days of that wildcard round, I do enjoy that vibe where you do kind of get that March Madness vibe. You get those four baseball games all day. It's like a big deal and it's a meaningful deal. I, I do enjoy that as a fan, as a cat, as a, I think casual fans would enjoy that when they say they survey uh, baseball. I, I think fans would enjoy that. So that's like something that kind of gives you like kind of that fun vibe, that kind of college tournament e vibe, uh, like that baseball college tournament. And so like, that's one thing I will say in positive for this format. Yeah, that was, that is good to have a four game, a four game day going from, early afternoon all the way until evening you you could if you wanted to just sit on the couch and watch baseball for half a day that is enjoyable and again i don't really have any use for this wild card round but for as long as it is here that four those four game days are nice well one thing we've seen through two rounds now here are the playoffs very different atmospheres in ballparks from totally rowdy to half empty. Uh, look down at you, Tampa Bay. Um, Randall, of what you've seen, highlights, games that you've caught, what's been the best atmosphere you've seen of any of these playoff games? The best atmosphere I've seen of any of these playoff games, you know, uh, Phillies fans, I think, are dangerous. I think a lot of them are unvaccinated, and by which I mean they don't have their rabies shots. But uh, I don't think that there has been a better atmosphere in these playoffs than winning. In Philadelphia, again, just because they are just unbridled and borderline psychopathic. So I will say the Philadelphia atmosphere has jumped out at me. You mentioned there are a lot of atmospheres that don't just not jump out at you. They literally just sit in their seat the entire time. Um, And, you know, having those atmospheres out of the playoffs early, I don't feel all that bad about it. Like nobody's jonesing to see an LCS game being played in Tampa Bay half empty i just don't think anybody's you know really in the tank for that so philadelphia i think has shown out very nicely so far um in their playoff games i'll agree with you uh randall there uh yeah those philly those philly games are are something right and and that's a team we don't know what but there's something that has i feel like that's a team and i'm not like the biggest necessarily phillies guy here you know i love bryce harper uh, but that's a team that that it feels like it has like a vibe to it that's kind of different than everybody else. Uh, you know that whole controversy that was just so ridiculous. I was loving the the Attaboy Harper shirt in the oh yeah uh, in the celebration there. Um, I think it was one of the rookie uh, bullpen guys was wearing that. Uh, so yeah, I would say that Philly. I I just feel like there's a vibe to this Phillies team mm-hmm. that I don't necessarily feel with any other team that's currently out there. I mean Houston, you know we've 
they've been around, they've been successful. Texas, they have it. I, I maybe I'm just not feeling it with them because they're they are new. I am rooting for them all that creed. Bit. Yeah, all that creed. That maybe that's what's <laughs> turning me off is the creed. Uh, but yeah, like uh, in Arizona, once again, it's just that that Phillies team. It, it it feels different to me with that Phillies team. Yeah, and I Tommy Pham, ever the wordsmith, I think he kind of offered a backhanded compliment to the Arizona fans after they clinched. He said something to the effect of, I wish it could be like that every night. You know, sounds like he's kind of quietly begging the Arizona fans, show up, don't sell your tickets to visiting fans. And it seemed like it was mostly D-backs fans. You know, they found all 50 of them, put them in the ballpark versus Dodgers fans in the game that was played in Arizona. I'm curious to see what that divide is going to end up being like in the league championship series, whether Philly fans travel basically across the country and put some, some of their shade of red versus I guess the D back shade of red. Um, you know, they're yeah, they, yeah, they still got red. We're good. Uh, so their shade of red in there. So I'm a little curious what that breakdown is going to be like, you can always tell with the Dodgers fans cause they're in blue. It can be a little harder to tell visually, but I'm curious what that ballpark is going to sound like. Cause again, Arizona fans, not typically known for showing up to to Diamondback games. They're not typically a high drawing team, and when they do draw, it's a lot of visiting fans. I, I think the Phillies are going to be very, very well represented down in the desert. There, um, I was reading too that Major League Baseball determines for these dome stadiums. There've been a ton of dome parks, and still three of the final four parks left, in fact, have uh, retractable roofs over them. Uh, that Major League Baseball decides whether they're open or shut. And the dome teams like it being shut because it's louder. You know, obviously you trap in the sound. It was open in Phoenix the other day, though, and yet it seemed like it was rocking. You hit four home runs in one inning against the Dodgers. Yeah, place is going to be rocking. Be curious moving forward, though, whether that roof's open or shut. Yeah, I, I agree. With, uh, I I think it's crazy that um, that we have these retractable roofs. And I understand in Arizona and probably actually all three of these cities, Dallas, Houston, yeah. and Arizona. I understand what happened. I've been to a game in Dallas at the old ballpark in Arlington and that place was hot. It was in September. And I, I, that was one of the hottest baseball games I've ever been to in my life. Omaha is pretty hot. When I go to the conference series, that one was really hot too. So, but it's just crazy to me. It's like those protractable rough staves. Like maybe that's why I'm also going to root a little bit for Philadelphia to give me that real baseball vibe. Yes. And, no one's ever going to accuse me of being a D-back supporter, but the that fourth consecutive home run was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. You, you hit it down the right field line, ruled a home run, then ruled a foul ball, and rightfully so. It was foul. And then on the very next pitch, 400-some feet into that dumb notch out in left center field, that's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So kudos to the D-backs for at least having decent comedic timing. Abrupt ending there to a pretty good Dodgers team. Um, I'm with you guys, though. Philly has looked the best. They've showed up the best on TV. Helps you're playing good baseball, too. I want to call out one other city, though, that had my attention, uh, Minneapolis. I thought the environment up there in Minnesota looked really, really cool. You think back when they were playing in the Dome, they had a huge advantage in the postseason, not just trapping sound, but controlling the wind right in that Dome because depending on – you know, there were a lot of rumors about when the air conditioning went on and when it didn't go on inside that ballpark. They're outdoors now. That place was rocking in Minnesota. And my guy, Brock Stewart, who had some nice innings this postseason for Minnesota, really cool to see him on the mound there. And that place just uh, elevating. I I thought Minnesota fans showed up nicely and good on them for not just winning a game, but taking a series too. Yeah, break that drought. And then they they only win one game in the next round. So I guess they've got something to build on. That's another park I kind of like to see in the, the deep fall, only because, again, I like baseball. 
in the cold. I like fans wearing the hoodies and the jackets and everything. And of course, the ballpark out there, you've got the fire pits out in the out in the concourse. You've got the various foods on a stick. I think that's a ballpark that would have a really good cold weather and does have a really good cold weather atmosphere. Like they not like they never get to test it out. But I think that's a ballpark that would look really nice in a deep postseason run, even if it's just for kind of the cold weather atmosphere. You sound like uh, Ronan. You sound like you've been talking to a former manager of the South Side when you're saying they're controlling the air conditioning up there. Well, uh, sure. I believe Ozzy Gian used to make all those accusations, <laughs> uh, and of course they also had that white uh, uh, roof that like players would yeah. say they couldn't find the ball up there. Like you'd go up and they didn't know where it was. So yeah, the Homer Hankies, uh, Minnesota. That 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 was a place to play in like the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s, uh, where when they were in the playoffs and rocking pretty good. I saw a tech-related stat. made me think about Randall. Uh, That win, the first win that the Twins had in the postseason was the first time somebody who owns an iPhone was able to capture the Twins winning a playoff game. Think about that. Like That's kind of an interesting way of putting in perspective their playoff drought. Yeah. That that makes sense, though, now that you think about it. Uh, Speaking of phones a little bit, one thing that I've liked from broadcasts, and honestly – it's brutal. These national broadcasts are brutal. One thing that there. was cool, uh, the when the uh, Atlanta had in Atlanta, uh, the ball goes out to left field, and then instantly the drone shot while the fireworks are going. I, I don't know if you guys remember that shot. That was awesome. That's been good for the most part, though. It's an absolute chore listening to these broadcasters and the pre- and post-game shows. Not very good across the board. At least the pre- and post-game shows are avoidable. The yeah. broadcasts themselves are rough. Bob Costas has lost a few miles on that fastball. The, the way he was just in disbelief the whole series, that the vaunted Dodgers were not getting a fair shake or whatever. Uh, and, you know, all those Dodgers pitchers who were getting shelled, he did not once ask if any of them were asking for forgiveness from their departed relatives. So I guess it only breaks that out for really special occasions. It, well, it's rough. It's rough this postseason. I was sort of hoping that Strobe's departed relatives are sort of smiting Bob <laughs> Costas at this point. Uh, because, yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't hear much of Costas, to be honest with you. I had those games on just environments where the sound wasn't on. Um, but it's been pretty rough, pretty much across the board. They're, they're, the, the best guy is Anderson yes, with TBS, who's the Brewers broadcaster. He's the only play-by-play guy that doesn't drive me crazy of who's left. Yeah, I was going to say that. I was going to bring that up as well as Anderson, who actually he's he still does Brewers games, but he's actually kind of taking a step back to do more of a TNT NBA call. I think the Brewers have like another primary guy now. Um, But yeah, Anderson, he's like the only guy that I feel like has the feel for like a baseball game, like and knows what he's doing. Uh, uh, Costas, I, I, Costas has been Costas for far too long. It's like, okay, <laughs> that guy has been, it's just been like decades of like, I he's so smug on the call and it's so condescending and so it's just brutal. And, you know, the pre and post game shows, it's hard for me. I, I don't really watch the T I haven't really watched the TBS ones um, to be honest with you. So I don't know how great or bad they are, but like a rod right now, I, I, anything Woof. he says, is just aw- like, I, I, it was probably the last round, the wild card round. And I, it, I was watching uh, and, and one of the games ended and I think they were going to go, it was like a transition or maybe it was a pregame. I don't know. And a rod was on there being like, Oh, you know, bashing the giants because they got rid of Bruce Bochy because they were going to favor Gabe Kapler and analytics. I'm like, that's not what happened at all. Uh, Bruce Bochy <laughs> retired. He chose to leave. They didn't like push Bruce Bochy out because they were like, he just uses analytics as like a buzzword to like be evil. And this is a guy talking about this guy hit like 700 homers. And he's talking about bunting all the time. <laughs> I, I just, I just can't do it with a, I, I actually used to like a rod as like 
the on the pregame show and as the studio guy. And I think he went from the studio guy to like in the booth and he's just been terrible in the booth. And now he's terrible as a studio guy. So he's been bad. A-Rod's never been a great broadcaster and it has gotten progressively worse. It, it's like there's nobody willing to tell him no. There's nobody willing to tell him no. It's a stupid thing to say. Stop saying it. Apparently they had a, a mentalist on the set the other yes, night reading A-Rod's mind and Jeter's mind. Just imagining the poor guy trying to read A-Rod's mind. It's just 404 file not found the whole way. <laughs> I just, I did see that clip, not live. I caught it on uh, somewhere on the socials and I thought, like, who who does this appeal to? Right. Like, who okay. is this for? Well, I mean, there's, I don't think there's a lot. Look, the thing with baseball, it's a regional sport. People are really into their team. You're a Cubs fan. You know everything about the Cubs. A lot of baseball fans don't know about guys on other teams in the way that maybe NFL fans do. And part of it is fantasy sports. Part of it is sports betting. Part of it is just the, the way that these games get broadcast and all the things that go into that. Who's watching these games? That's in it, that the people that are watching the playoffs still right now, if your team's eliminated, are good baseball fans, right? People that want to see these final four teams left, even though their team's not in it. What, what percentage of those people want to see a mentalist reading Alex Rodriguez's thoughts? Why is this happening? When there's so many compelling stories and interesting things that are happening, there are so many likable guys on this Phillies team, in my opinion. A bunch of guys like former Cubs, whether it's Schwarber, Castellanos, Kimbrell, guys who should have been former or future Cubs. Like future Bryce former Cooper. Cubs, yeah. There's just so many interesting guys on all of these teams having huge moments with these these moments in these games where if the ball is two inches to the right, you win a game, it's a foul ball, you end up losing the game. And we got a mentalist out there reading Derek Jeter's mind. And the thing looked totally scripted as far as I'm concerned. Just yeah, totally I, ridiculous that that's even a thing. I actually didn't see that clip at all, so I don't know what you're yeah, talking we, about with the mentalist. And I, to be honest, I don't necessarily know if I want to go find it. Yeah, I think should. Good. I, you I should. I watch it, I'll go, just I'll for go context. Watch it. I'll go watch understand. it for context. Just insane. But well, to my my feeling is just to you're saying who's this for, and I I just feel like all these studio shows are trying to capture the essence of like inside the NBA on TNT when none of them have somebody who's as, I guess, I don't know, I'll say charismatic. I don't know if that's necessarily the right word. It's like a Charles Barkley or something. Like, no, you don't have Barkley. So you can't, like, recreate that kind of experience. Just be a baseball show. Be a, a show for fans of baseball. Like, you don't, that's just that's just my feeling. That's my, my thought. Like, I, that's what I'm assuming they're trying to do. At this point, just put Chuck on the pre and post game yeah, show. Honestly, it couldn't possibly be any worse. Then A Rod and Jeter just get, and he loves talking about sports. He talking goes on the hockey show, talks about hockey. Like you just put Barkley on there; he'll talk about it. He'll do it. Uh, let's start AL, and then we'll pivot over to the National League here. Uh, so we're down to two here. The two Texas teams. You know, we grew up with the Astros being a division rival of the Cubs. They go over to the American League, Major League Baseball, among other things, wanted a rivalry with Texas and Houston. Well, now you get a championship series here. Um, so many great players on both of those teams. But what about the skippers, too? You got Dusty in one dugout, Bruce Bochy in the other. You're talking baseball lifers going at it. I think that should be a great series. I agree with you. I I, I think that's going to be a, a tremendous series uh, in terms of of the Astros versus the Rangers, because I think the, that's like that Texas, I think people underrate that, um, that, that rivalry. I think that's actually a really big rivalry down there in Texas where, 
I, I don't think people realize how big of a rivalry that is. And and I, I think, you know, you mentioned Bochi, you mentioned Dusty Baker on both sides. You got Scherzer's coming back. I, I, I've heard early to pitch this series. You know, they made the other team, the Astros made the trade to bring Verlander back. So you got those guys coming from the Mets, former teammates going to Texas, going to, to Houston. I, I'm actually very excited for that, that series. Cause I, I know in Texas, I know in Arlington, they want to beat the Astros bad. They do. So I think that's actually going to be a very fun series to watch. That entire division hates the Astros. They're sick of them. I would not be surprised to see benches clear at least once in that series. Um, But yeah, Jeremy, you made the point people kind of underrate the Rangers because they don't really get any attention. Um, Why do I underrate the rivalry? Yeah, and the rivalry. Well, part of it is that the Rangers don't really get any attention. And you can say maybe that's rightly so. They're not really the most visible, the most exciting team, but they are a good team. And I think they really, really hate this Astros team. And I think they would love to step over them on the way to a World Series. So I think there's going to be a little bit of an edge to this series. Again, I think you might see some pitches inside. Like I said, it would not surprise me to see benches empty. I think this is the series that's going to have a a really decent bite to it. And I think uh, as long as the Astros don't run away with this series, I think it's going to be a very fun series to watch. You think Sox fans were lamenting Jose Abreu hitting bombs in Minnesota of all places too. I mean, you know, those twins fans have a lot of horror stories with the Abreu. Uh, didn't have a great year, but certainly has uh, turned it on a little bit here in the postseason. I, I remarked to myself, I was like, you know, Jose Abreu is pretty good in the playoffs, I guess. Who knew? Like, we, never, <laughs> we never had time to learn that Jose Abreu was pretty good in the playoffs. I, I want seven out of the American League. I think that would be really compelling. I mean, I want seven out of both. We, we're at a stretch here where we're down to a limited number of baseball games before we go into the dark ages for a couple of months here. So let's extend it as much as possible. But these two Texas teams um, in Houston uh, and Ron field, right? Game seven. That sounds fun to me. Don't forget the pumpkins up by the train tracks. Yeah. Shout out to the late great Ron Santo. Yeah. What, one other American league thing I wanted to ask you guys on, are we surprised? I mean, we talked earlier about the structure of the playoffs and all that, but the abrupt exit for Baltimore after the incredible year that they had, that must've been a slap in the face for O's fans. It was a little bit surprising to me, but they also did not have a whole lot of pitching that I think they, at least that fan base is probably lamenting that they did not go out and acquire anyone more interesting than what's left of Jack Flaherty. And I think that management said they really weren't going to go all in at this trade deadline. And that, that can't have been a good message to send. So I'm a little surprised they went out early. I thought their offense would keep them in it. And I think their offense did as much as they could. It just didn't, wasn't enough to cover for the pitching. So that is a a pitching hungry team. And you wonder if that might be a team willing to, uh, trade certain pieces in the name of acquiring some pitching because they have an abundance of very talented young position players. So you wonder if they might deal from a position of strength to bring in some arms this offseason. Uh, I wasn't super surprised because I thought that Baltimore was a team that kind of overachieved this year. Um, they're they're a good team. They have good players. They they as Randall just said, they have an abundance of young talent that and their bullpen was fantastic, but that was kind of the problem. A lot of their bullpen got hurt uh towards the end of this year. Uh and so I just I thought you know, I, I didn't think maybe the sweep might have been a little surprising, just the manner of how it happened. But I thought I thought they were a team that kind of overachieved. I thought the, I thought most I didn't think they were the best team in the American League. I don't think just because they had the top seed, they were the best team. I didn't think that. So I, I thought Texas could have and should have beat. I, I would have picked Texas to win that series. So, well, I, uh, I, let's let's pick another round yeah, here. Let's go. Uh, Jeremy, American League uh, call this championship series. Who wins in how many games? 
So I'm going to just call it just based off of uh, who I want to win it. So uh, and that's going to be the Bruce Bochy's Texas Rangers. You know, I, I last year I, I kind of rooted for Houston because I wanted to see Dusty get that ring. I just I just wanted to have that happen. But Dusty got his ring. So now I don't have to feel anything about rooting for Houston. <laughs> and I want to see the Rangers kind of I just want to see the Rangers in the World Series. Give us I'll games. Texas. I'll Texas say in... uh, Texas in six. Cool. Randall. Yeah, I'm going with the head over the heart on this one. I do not want the Astros to win. I do think they are going to win. I do think they're going to take an extra game versus Jeremy's prediction. I am calling Houston in seven in a very hard fought, very contentious, very bitterly contested series. Yuck. Rangers in seven. Sounds good to me. Let's maximize baseball. I, how do you not love Bruce Bochy? Too, right like I don't love Dusty I I like Bruce Bochy I think it'd be cool if he could get it done there in uh in Texas and cool to see a franchise you know get a pennant and a chance to win it all the last time the Rangers were uh in the championship series and world series it did not end well and I don't no. like to remember that so maybe they'll have better luck this time what do you have Randall it is a very funny photo that came from uh, Texas celebration after sweeping the Orioles Bruce Bochy noted for having a massive head he has a hat size over eight, which as hat sizes go is very big. And his his NLDS, his postseason hat or whatever he's wearing during the celebration, it was not actually sitting over his head. It was just kind of sitting on top of his head. The poor hat was hanging on for dear life. So I hope that as Texas hopefully continues to advance, I hope they can get Bochi some custom headwear so he's not wearing like a fez, basically, as he's celebrating. National League, Arizona, Philly. Who had that? Right, even two weeks ago, who had that? But that's what we got: Diamondbacks, Phillies, with a chance to win the pennant. Yeah, I think the vibes are going to come out on top here. And Philadelphia is a very heavily vibes-based team. I think they will come out, and you know, it wouldn't surprise me if it weren't even that close of a series. I'm thinking Philly in five or six, personally. So yeah, I, I, I'm I'm right there with you, Randall. I'm going to go Phils in five. Uh, I, I just like the idea of this Rangers-Phillies matchup because you know, as a as I recall growing up in the nineties, I always used to like think that the Phillies and the uh, Rangers were kind of like, uh, they were kind of like uh, mirrors of each other in terms of the fact they were both wearing red and blue. Uh, they both would like kind of switch between sometimes they would be wearing like red caps. Sometimes they'd be wearing blue caps. They, they'd kind of have like this. And th- there was a period of time where the Phillies were wearing blue caps. Um, And so like, I just always thought Rangers Phillies, like, you know, cause it seems like the Rangers are always, they don't, they never know whether they want to wear red caps or blue caps or, five years are changing. Um, so like, I just always had like this kind of Rangers Phillies thing in my head, like growing up as a child. And so like, I, I just want to see that in the world series. I want to see Rangers Phillies. Cool. Yeah. I'll go Phillies in six. Cause let them win at home. Let them get that uh, uh, to your point. The vibes there at the bank ballpark have been pretty cool. So maybe they win it in six. Uh, as I said earlier too, Arizona is a better team than I think fans are giving them credit for. They've got a balance of everything with that team. And one of the great young stars, also a guy Randall predicted would be the rookie of the year this year in the I, national I league. Right. I was right. I uh, and he is right. He's the man. And uh, interesting to see Arizona competing the way that they are. Um, a lot of stories during that Braves Philly series. Yeah. The big one about, you know, sort of taunting Bryce Harper and and from the Braves perspective, a couple of guys there saying, well, I said it in the clubhouse and what stays in the clubhouse should stay in the clubhouse. If I say it in there, one, that's not how it works. Number two, you're going to say it, own it, 
right? Own it. You were celebrating, own it. Just so satisfying to see Bryce Harper hit not one, but two bombs and then stare down the Braves shortstop. That's the type of theater that you love with October baseball. And I can't think of a better guy to own it than Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is a consummate showman. He he is an expert panderer. You know, he shows up to games in Allen Iverson jerseys. He shows up to games in Coach Prime shirts because Braves made it personal, quote unquote. He stares down RC as he's rounding second base. He is a master showman. He is a master panderer. And the Braves handed him all the popsicle sticks and all the glue he needed to build himself this little house of of perceived offenses. And that's all he needed to go off. Now, the, Orlando Arcia was not throwing him uh, middle, middle curveballs that he could hit 500 feet, but it's it's just the perfect backdrop for what happened. And it, it's good theater. Like you said, it's good spectacle. It's, it's, it's the softest story I, I've ever seen. Like, I don't know about ever, but like, come on. Like, because you, you, add a boy Harper and you won't, as you said, own it. Like, like, yeah. are you kidding me? It's, it's just trash talk. Like who cares? You said add a boy Harper. And then you get so scared that like first you deny it. And then you're like, Oh, but it shouldn't come out. Like, because you said add a boy Harper. Are you that soft? Like, like be like, I, if it were me, I'd be like, yeah, I said it, whatever. Like add a boy Harper. Come on, let's go. Like it, I, it was just like, kind of like, you know, I, I thought it actually, it probably even hurt the Braves just on their own because like, look at what they're doing. They're like, they're so they're not, I puff your chest out. Right. Like a little bit, like I'm not the guy I always say, leave your trash talk for the end of the game. To be honest, I'm like, just go out there, do your business. And then like you beat him, like then you start talking or whatever. And I know that people will disagree with that, whatever. But like, yeah, you know, if you're going to trash talk, own your trash talk. Don't like be like, well, it was meant to be said behind his back. Like, come on. That's weak as hell. That's the weakest thing I've ever heard. If you're going to say it, say it and And own it. And here's the thing too, that moment, and I, I've been pulling for Philly in the series, and I generally don't have a lot of nice things to say about Braves fans as a whole, but that moment in Truist Park when he got doubled off to end game two was an awesome moment in the playoffs. The way the crowd reacted, the thrill of the catch in center field, uh, Austin Riley, the third base, or right, it was Riley who went over and, yes. and scooped up the ball and threw over to first. That was poetry i mean it was beautiful and then the way the crowd reacted you got clips of that without broadcasters over it too but the place is just going crazy and you love to see that i was so skeptical of this braves move to this new ballpark that place seems to have a lot more energy than it had even when the cubs were there back in 2003 at turner field so to their credit they showed up there so own it like you got bryce harper doubled off to end a pivotal game two own it. And I love that Philly was able to turn it around and, and win in convincing fashion, uh, both games three and four. Let me say one thing. I, I'm going to say this and I believe this and I, I don't know, but, but I don't believe Danzy Swanson would be that soft and say like, you know, they, they put up Orlando Arcia <laughs> as their Danzy Swanson relation. I don't believe uh, Danzy Swanson would have said that I'll, he would have owned it. He would have said it out loud and he would have said it. Yeah, this is what we're doing. I don't think it would be like, because like, it's just, it's not even like that bad. Like, okay. If it was something like a horrifically said, like you said something offensive, I can understand being like, okay, whatever. Attaboy Harper. That's like the most benign thing ever. Who cares? Like, and you're gonna be like, oh, I just meant to talk trash behind his back. I didn't mean to talk trash to his face. I'm pissed at somebody's like, come on, dude, grow up. Like, and the whole Braves team, like if I was one of his teammates, I'd be like, dude, just fucking like, it, that's ridiculous. 
Yeah. Uh, Dansby Swanson never would have said it in the first place. Because I think even from a season well, of Dansby Swanson, we know that's not really. I don't think so. No, I don't. I think we know that's not really how he comports himself for better or for worse. I'm not saying you're a better player for not trash talking. I just don't think that's how Dansby runs. Um, but you are 100% correct. He would have, uh, I think, handled it a lot better. And it only became an issue because the Braves lost the next two games. If they had gone on to win those two games and advance through the series, they would have been the ones putting it on T-shirts while celebrating. It is an easy scapegoat. It's a poor scapegoat, but it's an easy scapegoat. It's it's Kent Merker uh, talking to the broadcasters on the plane from the 2004 Cubs. It's a scapegoat. It's an excuse. It's a, oh, this is your fault, even though I'm the one who said it. It's it's the dumbest thing ever, and it couldn't happen to a nicer dumbass than Orlando Arcia. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's soft well, to sell. It, it's cool to see some heat between the Phillies and the Braves. It's a, a nice rivalry in the National League East. Um, a bit of a shame, dare I say this, Randall, a bit of a shame that the Mets are so inept that they're not also in on that because you got a nice sort of rivalry thing going on there between the Mets and the Phillies, the Mets and the Braves, and then the Braves and the Phillies. Those are classic NL East rivals that you hope will be able to keep that going when there's some uh, reconfigured divisions in the coming years. Definitely imagining the Phillies and the Braves kind of going at it and the Mets are knocking on their TVs. Hey, hey, don't forget us. We're here too. And nobody hears them because they're not in the playoffs. Uh, quickly here, Dodgers out in three. Uh, disaster for the pitching staff. Uh, I like Kershaw, so I don't like to see him struggle in the postseason. I was laughing my ass off when Lance Lynn was getting lit yeah. up, though. Ridiculous. Well, it, was, it, was, it was hysterical. There's no reason not to laugh. I, I don't hate Kershaw, but it is hilarious that he is history's most convenient Halloween decoration, because you can always count on him to turn into a pumpkin when the calendar turns to October. It's just very funny to me. You have this generational pitcher who will be in the Hall of Fame someday, and he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame on the basis of his postseason exploits, to say the least. I I, I just want I, I would think if you're looking at this Dodgers team and what they've done since, you know, 2010, you could probably even go back to that, like 2006, 2000. You know, they were a couple LCSs in the late 2000s and they had a gap. But since, you know, they probably won, what, like 12 straight division titles or something? I don't know the exact number. But I would say, like, their biggest parallel would probably be, like, those 90s Braves, right? Uh, and, and going into the 2000s. And if you want to look at it, when did the Dodgers win their only World Series? They Well, they won it in 2020 and during a 60-game season, not a full season. When did the Braves win their only World Series? They won it in 1995, coming off the strike, not a full season. It was a much bigger season than the 60-game season, but it was 145 games. So neither of those teams have won a World Series in a 162-game season. So how ridiculous good. is that? It's a good comparison. Yeah. Uh, I think from the Dodgers' perspective, too, they're a long way from the Frank McCourt days. That's yeah. one thing that you can say about that That's organization. I um, was thinking about Jason Hayward the other day as the Diamondbacks were slapping the ball out to the ballpark. Uh, he wants to go back to Los Angeles next year. Um, do you think we see Jason Hayward with another year in the big leagues? I would have said no two years ago, but given the year that he had, I think he'll be back. Uh, I would agree with you. I think he's found maybe a nice little comfort zone. I think they like the work he did mentoring younger outfielders like James Outman. They said, I think Outman was, you know, proverbially attached to the hip, uh, attached at the hip with Hayward in spring training. So I, I think they like that influence. I think they have found a way to use him offensively that it makes at least makes him palatable to keep on the roster. I would think they maybe bring him back on another one-year deal or maybe another minor league deal with a handshake agreement. So yeah, I'm with you. I think that he sticks around one more year. I, I think he uh, probably does stick around another year. I I, I mean, I, I'm assuming he get a 
major league contract and, and so. probably yeah. pretty pretty good one i mean he's not going to make 27 million dollars uh, a year or whatever he was making last year like he's definitely not going to do that and the Dodgers are going to have to pay a little bit more than probably the 700,000 or whatever that, that they ended up paying him last year so but you know the Dodgers can afford it obviously and so they can do it so I, I expect him to make a few million uh come on back I I'm happy for him in the sense that I always like Jason Hayward and I want to see him do well but in these type of situations where you see like another guy kind of like a guy that you did like and want to see duo, but then become like with another team and going back to probably the same situation and being like a Dodger and where he's having success and probably, I don't know, a more fun time, but probably having a pretty good time out there in LA. Like to me, I'm like, Jason, you're a cub. Like I want you to come back to Chicago and be a cub <laughs> and not be like a Dodger, you know? So that, that will, that will be kind of a little disappointing to me. So hopefully, you know, he's obviously going to be here with his, facility he built and they talked about you know him coming back to the organization or something possibly after he retires but who knows now but uh uh yeah that's just the only thing that always gets me it's like you're sure. a cup man you know cody bellinger the former dodger is sort of that key player in the national league to turn around from struggling to this breakthrough year again with the cubs but jason hayward had a nice season a two-war year for the dodgers who would have seen that coming one thing that I'm not surprised by that we've heard from Dodgers media, uh, everybody raving about Jason Hayward, teammate, clubhouse guy. We saw that in Chicago, even though the bat wasn't there. Nobody had anything bad to say that was in that clubhouse about Jason Hayward. We're hearing the same stories out of Southern California. So that's pretty cool to see. Um, I'll always love Jason Hayward. He's a World Series champion for the Chicago Cubs, as far as I'm concerned. So appreciate his efforts here. Jeremy, really quickly, I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, Whit Merrifield, Salvador Perez to the White Sox. What do you make of that report? Well, first of all, I, we do got to say it's a Bruce Levine report, you know, so we'll, we'll put that out big there. Big asterisk, but, uh, yeah. Big asterisk, but like... I was looking at, you know, who was a free agent this and I I and I I saw the rumors about Salvador Perez, you know, with the uh, earlier this year. They talked about Salvador Perez a lot going to the White Sox. And then I I saw Whit Merrifield was on the free agent list and I'm like, White Sox. White Sox needs a second baseman. White and this was like a week ago. I'm like White Sox needs a second baseman. They're going after Whit Merrifield. There's no doubt about it. And then that report came out and I and I felt like, yes, total confirmation. It's so hard for me to not picture Whit Merrifield on the White Sox next year. Like, where else is he going to go? You got all those Royals over there. You got Royals in the front office. You got Royals on the field. You got Royals in the coaching staff. You got a blatant hole at second base for the White Sox. How is Whit Merrifield not that guy? He's going to be that guy. Like, it's just put him there already. I already got him locked in. You know, White Sox pursuing former Royals players, either on the down on the downswing of their careers is – 100% not my clowns, not my circus. But I just want to say, in addition to the asterisk on the Bruce Levine portion of this report, I love the wording. The White Sox are eyeing pursuit of these players. Like, it's just right there. They are thinking about maybe going after these players. It's two levels to the BS, and it will be this way all offseason. I know some people love it. I just find it so incredibly silly. But yes, in the context of the report, those are two players that would fit the White Sox to a T in that they are aging and they are on the downswing of their careers and their former teammate is now running the White Sox. So like you said, Jeremy, points one, two and three in favor of it being a perfect fit. Well, yeah, it, and it's not just Chris Getz, but you got Pedro Gafal, you got you got, you know, uh, Andrew Benatendi's out there, right? The Royals, you got the White Sox just hired a couple guys that had connections to the Royals. They hired Brian Bannister, who I've always thought was a smart guy, uh, but a former War Royals pitcher. They hired uh, another guy who came over, was a longtime Royals scout. Um, so, yeah, it's just like, it's one thing to say, I want to 
build a team in the sense of like the 2014, 2015 Royals. It's another thing to say in 2023, I want to build the 2015 Royals and bring them all over here. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have the, Philadelphia, we have the Philadelphia Cubs. We can look forward to the Chicago Royals. Any other baseball notes from you guys? Big league, minors. Randall just threw his hand in the air aggressively. All right, Randall, what do you have? Actually, I'm actually very proud of myself for remembering this because my memory doesn't normally work this way. It was eight years ago tonight that Kyle Schwarber hit the famous Schwarboard home run over the video wow. board in right field. It landed atop the video board, nestled itself among the Budweiser logo, which is where anything Kyle Schwarber does probably ends up. And one that's one of my favorite non-series clinching Cubs playoff calls is the broadcast booth just being in complete disbelief going, mercy, what in the world? This rookie warthog coming up a year after being drafted and hitting baseballs over the video boards in Wrigley Field. One of my best non-World Series Cubs playoff memories. Eight years ago tonight, the Schwarboard home run. Yeah, mm-hmm. former former Cub Dennis Eckersley going crazy in the booth, calling him, uh, you know, Babe Ruth or whatever. Uh, yeah, and I, I just want to point out something about that, what you're saying. That was a game in the NLDS against the Cardinals, and that was eight years ago today. And we're already in the NL in ALCS. So I, I actually do enjoy like because that series went to November and that that's too long for me for the offseason, like too late. So like I think the schedule so far, like I think this is a better pace for baseball because we, we can't be having like snow outs in the World Series. And, you know, you talk about moving along. We just we, we let off the broadcast commemorating game six of a league championship yeah. series only a day later shows you the difference in the, the scheduling season to season or even decade to decade. Anything else, Jeremy, anything to add? Uh, you know, yeah, you said it earlier. You want to see as much baseball as possible. I'm, I'm going to get back on that train. Like, and I know I predicted five and six games, but like, yeah, there's not much baseball left this off this year, this in 2023. So like, enjoy it all. It's going to be fun. We'll get into the off season when it comes. Hopefully it's going to be a crazy off season that we're all ecstatic over. Um, but yeah, enjoy the baseball because there's not gonna be a lot left that you can just easily turn on and watch. Well, we'll see where it goes here. Uh, we'll check in after the championship series, get a little World Series preview. We'll continue to think about Pete Alonso, maybe at first base for the Cubs. A uh, couple of other guys that I want to start to talk to you about. Um, we'll do this next week, whether or not we see them factoring into the Cubs' plans next year. Kyle Hendricks is a guy I want to talk about. Cody Bellinger, of course, is going to be top of mind. And then some of those fringe players. We mentioned Patrick Wisdom earlier today. Sort of where these guys fit into the mix here. Uh, Hopefully um, other good news to report by that time on the Cubs front as well. That's all we got tonight. Randall, I'll be thinking about your Halloween costume until the big night. Until next time, we'll see you here on Behind the Yellow Line.